Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris, coming to you from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here in Portland, Oregon. First of all, we'd like to thank Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. You can check it out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. And also, uh, Gunter Wilhelm Knives, uh, if you want a little quality or a reasonable price working in your kitchen, I would uh, recommend you take a look at Gunter Wilhelm Knives. I have some and they work really well. Well, you've seen my guest on television a lot. He's been on the show, but it's been a couple of years. I looked it up last night. How long has it been since he's been on? But uh, Simon Majumdar is going to be with us today here. Star extraordinaire from Food Network and Food Channel, author, very well-traveled, and now an American citizen. Simon, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. It has <laughs> been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a couple of years since you've been on. Um, wow. I've missed our, our, missed our conversations cause they're always so much fun. Well, first of all, let's get the practical business out of the way. Uh, we were talking about this off the air. You survived so far, uh, the, the COVID pandemic and you and Sybil are doing well. Yeah, we are. We're doing, you know, we're doing well. I mean, like anybody else who's, you know, been, you know, through the pandemic with us, you know, we've, we've been frustrated by not being able to travel which we like to do a lot and not being able to mix with folks and i do a lot of cooking demos around the country and i've missed not being able to do those but here's the thing compared to the alternative or compared to those folks who've lost loved ones we're we're just fine so you know my thoughts go out to the people who suffered a lot more than we have yeah it's been tough um i do some of the same things that you do people will call me or representatives will call me and say, Hey, can you do this? And I say, yeah, but you need to check to see if we can actually do that. And for the last year or so, they've called me back and said, no, we can't do that here. So that's- yeah, we've had lots of things. We've had lots of things pushed you know, back uh, or canceled, but slowly, I think the nice thing is that uh, I noticed, you know, certainly over the last few weeks, I guess, as people are getting vaccinated and Hopefully we're controlling things more. Uh, things are getting rescheduled. And so, you know, it's like putting your feet outside into you know the snow for the first time. <laughs> we're all going to have to take it pretty, pretty carefully to begin with. But hopefully we're all beginning to emerge slowly. Now, that the COVID uh, experience has not slowed down your TV production, has it? Well, it's I mean, it, what it does is just alter the way that you do it and you have to be you know, very, very careful. And I, you know, I'm lucky in that the people with whom I work, the food network and the individuals like, you know, Guy Fieri, I always say they, they operate from excellence. So when you go and film with them, you know, testing is paramount, checking everybody, making sure that every single person on the crew, everyone else is safe and otherwise it wouldn't happen. So when we have done filming, 
uh, we've done that kind of thing. So testing and all, all kinds of stuff like that is happening all the time. So not just once, but you know, every other day or whenever when you're filming. And, and the other thing is, of course, if people have watched um, you know, Guy Fieri, we've done some very interesting things where we've actually you know, Guy has sent cameras into people's homes so we all got tested, and then they came into you know they came into my little apartment here. Uh, my wife and I have this tiny little apartment in LA because we're usually never here, so there's just no point just having a big old house. Sure. Um, and and they sent people in uh, tested, and we got tested, and then they filmed an episode of what I call Guy Fieri uh, you know, home delivery, and so he sent boxes of you know crazy things, and then using <laughs> Zoom. We all we all created yeah, dishes on his, and then what was interesting, of course, because the judges couldn't be here, and I judged some, and I cooked on it. Uh, we had to kind of describe our dishes to the judges, which is a real test where they don't get to taste it, but you're trying to tell them how delicious it is. Yeah, <laughs> and so people have. I think what's happened with everyone then, people have had to be you know really thoughtful about how they do things and, and entrepreneurial and think about different ways of doing things, and I think. Yeah, not that there's any good side of something that can come out of a pandemic with, you know, as we said, with people who so many people we've lost. But there might be some positive in terms of people who've come up with some really great ideas that will go on anyway once we emerge from it. I wish I'd bought stock in Zoom. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I mean, it's become a way of life. I think, you know, I've I've had uh, probably two Zoom meetings, uh, you know, no, probably more yesterday, and I've got some connected today as well. So it, I, ha I have literally lived on it, I think, for the last year. Yeah, I, my wife is a director at a college, and I feel so sorry for her because we took what was supposed to be our quote-unquote man cave because our, our daughter finally moved out. And, <laughs> you know, that was going to be our big screen TV room or what have you, but now it's her office. and. um with multiple screens and the uh, ring light so that she can be on these meetings and all this stuff. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's been pretty efficient, I think for a lot of people, but uh, she comes out of there at in, the end of the day, just looking very tired. So in many ways, I think it's been uh, better in some cases than just because before, you know, Zoom was a thing, but people weren't using it a lot, and we tended to just be on the phone. But this way, I've got to see people when I have meetings with them for the first time. I've done things where I've sent friends recipes, and they've cooked them during the day, and then we got together at, you know, whatever time at night sure. and ate the meals together and opened a bottle of wine and kind of tried to communicate that way. And in some ways, we've probably seen more, you know, of people on Zoom uh, than we would if we were just under normal circumstances because we've made an active effort to connect with people mm -hmm. because we were missing it in the kind of everyday life. So in some ways, I think we've, we've, you know, we've, I think most people have tried to make the best out of what was a pretty bad job for everybody. We're talking with Simon, <clears throat> excuse me, Simon. We're talking with Simon Majumdar from the Food Network, uh, an author, a speaker, a chef. Uh, Simon kind of does it all. We've got a few minutes left here in this first segment, Simon, before we go to break. Did you think 10 years ago that you would be doing this today? I mean, sans the pandemic issues, but that you would end up 
being a judge and a host on Food Network and all the things you're doing, when you came over here from the UK, did you envision all that? No, I mean, it's there's there's a saying uh, someone told me many years ago. They said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> and uh, I think I think the idea is that, you know, we never know what's ahead for us. You've, and, you know, I've been I was looking at it's been nearly a dozen years since I did my first show for the Food Network, sure. Next Iron Chef. And, you know, I'm here you know, that long later and I'm still doing, you know, a great show for them right now. One of the best I've ever been on. In fact, Tournament of Champions, which is just amazing. Um, and if you'd have told me that and if you'd have told me I'd have, you know, be writing books or being a food critic in LA or any of those things, I wouldn't have known, but I've been very grateful for it. And, and, you know, the truth is it happens. Yes, I've worked really hard, but also it happens because a lot of really amazing people have been very kind to me along the way and helped me. So, you know, I've been very fortunate as well. Okay. Big question here. I know somebody's going to write me an email and say, why didn't you ask this question? So I will ask it now. Tell us about your hats. <laughs> well, I've always I've always had a thing for hats, and um, I started just buying particular ones. And now, you know, I think my, my poor wife is just has, has had to give up a, a huge chunk of our tiny apartment to where I keep all my hats. So I'm on a hat buying ban. So I I I foolishly decided I was going to try get Twitter on my side and started a. a a thing called Simon needs more hats. What do you call them? A hashtag. Right. And um, and so I, I thought it would just be fun, but then lots and lots of people have been coming and copying her in on emails, going Simon needs more hats. <laughs> so I think she's become a little a little wary of it now. Uh, but it was my birthday last week, and so part of uh, kind of my birthday gift was I've been given the permission to buy one more hat. Oh. So I'm we'll. we'll I'm so, <laughs> I, she's like, <laughs> it's okay if someone sends you a hat because they want you to wear it on TV or something. She goes, but you're not buying any more for now. And uh, so I'm going to save up that one hat till I'm back in London because there's a particular store that I go to on Carnaby Street, which was obviously the big old store in the big old street in the 60s where all the swinging 60s people went. And there's a store there that sells uh, a lot of the hats that I wear on TV. So I'm going to wait till I can go back to London till we're all allowed to travel again and buy myself a great hat. <laughs> it's not the same store that did the Queen's bonnets, is it? No, no, very, very definitely not the Queen's bonnets. This is, this is one that made hats for, you know, people like, well, the Beatles and the who and all of those. Sure. And they do, and they do these great hats that are very, um, what I love about them is you can kind of fold them up and put them in a bag. And then when you bring them out, they just spring back into shape. Ah, and so they're great. Yeah. They're, awesome to travel with <laughs> that's kind of like me with my cowboy hats i actually had to get rid of some of them um i think i'm down to maybe a dozen now uh at one time i had 27 uh cowboy wow. hats, <laughs> and they they take up a lot of room you know you can stack them but you don't want to stack them too high because you'll bend the crowns and stuff and i promise f folks in the next segment simon and i are going to talk about food but, um, <laughs> you know, but when we moved a few years ago and my wife said, you got to go through those same deal, you know, maybe they went to the same wife school. I don't know, Shelly and Sybil, but I'm just, <laughs> just saying that I had to, uh, had to tone down the amount of hats that I had. So 
now, you know, I don't, I don't really go well, out I, seeking them. I have to say that, you know, my my poor lovely wife puts up with a lot from me, so I don't mind at all. Yes. <laughs> telling me off for doing that. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I definitely won in that in that sense, so I don't <laughs> mind. We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation on the Sun Radio Networks, and Simon Majumdar and I will be back in a few minutes. Please stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, support for Barbecue Nation and Around the House with Eric G. Brought to you by Manscaped, who is the absolute best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for the family jewels. That's right. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. That's a lot of guys. And we have an exclusive offer for all of my listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with the code BBQ at manscaped.com. Hey, you know, Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Absolutely. Well, here's the cool thing here. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DIY at manscaped.com. Well, you can also get 20% off and free shipping. I said that better than you. With the code BBQ at manscaped.com. everybody welcome back to barbecue nation i'm jt if you'd like to uh, listen to the podcast versions of these shows after they air on the radio you can find us on all of the major platforms uh captivate soundcloud itunes pandora all of those you can find us uh if you have a question for us you can go to the website which is barbecue nation jt there's an icon there you can send me a question uh, we also have Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So we're pretty easy to uh, track down and uh, get in touch with us. Um, we're talking with Simon Majumdar. Like I said before, Simon has not been on the show for, I don't know, two and a half years or something. It's been a while. And I'm always grateful that he takes the time to to spend with us. Simon, how has your palate, if it has, changed since you moved to the United States? Well, I, I, I'm not sure necessarily that the palate changes, although there are fundamental differences here. I think about the food that's readily available. I think um, just naturally people tend to eat things here that are a little bit more sweet. Uh, they, or a te- they have a tendency towards sweet, a tendency towards something that's more salty. So it's really interesting that when I prepare meals uh, for people here, um, I often get my wife to taste uh, just to double check on the salt content because sure. you know people sometimes might think that my salt I undersalt food, but it's I I have quite a European touch with that. Whereas I think in America it tends to be a little more not aggressive but just a little more hefty. Uh, same with things like acid. Um, I notice when I go out now and I, I do a lot. Well, not so much in the last year, obviously, but before that, restaurant reviews. You know the use of acid in salads, and and sometimes it's it is a little bit too much for me. And I think a lot of times it's you know people are trying to overcome 
one of the one of the salt things by using more acid and and sometimes I think there's we lack a little uh, balance here on on some of the foods that we're doing, particularly when you go out. Um, but I think on, fundamentally things are pretty much the same. I'm also I think because I travel a lot around the world, we're seeing you know, different levels of how things, people use things. So one of the kind of components that we don't use a lot here in the United States is like bitter elements. Mm-hmm. But if you travel to Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, you'll see a lot of bitter elements. You'll see a lot of sour elements being used in dishes that aren't necessarily part of the U.S. kind of palate. So I think it's really important for me trying to keep a global view, which is, you know, a lot of the reasons they want me to judge on television is that I kind of keep that big global view. So that's why travel has been so important for us. I know when I've traveled and <clears throat> excuse me, um, and I've been to South America and the Middle East and Europe a bit and Australia and different places like that. I always find it very interesting and I try not to as I don't want to be the ugly American, although, you know, physically you might say that, but I'm, but I just um, try to eat the dish without adding anything to it. One out of respect for the chef, but two to kind of get the flavors that that particular recipe is supposed to bring forward to you. And so I, I try not to do that, but I will be honest and say every once in a while, when they're not looking, I'll, if they have a little bowl of salt or a salt shaker, I'll hit that thing a little bit when nobody's looking and then go for it because it, it's, it just yeah, comes I, natural to me. No, I, I, and I think you, that's the kind of respectful way of doing it. I think it's uh, people asked me uh, at an event not so long ago about you know, putting salt on your food in, in a restaurant and they were worried about you know, kind of offending the chef. And my first thing of saying to people is, well, look, it's, you've paid for it. It's your meal. You, you get to eat it how you like it. And I think sometimes we kind of uh, forget that, again, being respectful to everyone involved. But I think my, my suggestion with people with that is, you know, taste the dish as it is first as they've sent it out. Right. Um, and then if you need to uh, alter that or just change it a little to so it suits your palate more, then absolutely you should do it because it's, in the end, it's, it's your dinner, as it were. You know, the, the chef may have prepared it, but they're not the one that's necessarily going to eat it. Well, they're not the one that's going to eat it. Right. So I think that's fair, but I think it's always worth any dish just trying to taste it as it is. And and sometimes I, I understand it. If I produce something, I put it in front of people, and before they eat it, they kind of smother it in salt. Then I go, well, you know, it's kind of, it, it takes away some of the point that I put into cooking it. Right. Right. Yeah. I've always, in fact, I've even chastised a couple of my friends. Uh, and, and my family did this growing up. You'd sit at the table, and the first thing my dad would do would grab the salt and pepper shake. And, you know, so I had to kind of break that habit um, because that was ingrained in me, no pun intended. But I had to do that uh, because I got used to doing that. And then as I grew up and I don't want to say became more sophisticated, but became a little more aware of what was going on, I had to back off of that. And and actually, it's been very rewarding over the years to get the different flavors. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think part of it is. That because we've begun, or we've, we've for a, a long time now in the United States, um, and in the you know r- you know plenty of places in the rest of the world, we eat a lot of processed food. Now, processed foods tend to be full of fats, sugars, 
and salt. And so what those also do, as well as kind of, they bring immediate flavor, but they actually deaden the palate. So when you eat a lot of processed food, it's actually kind of attacking your long-term enjoyment of the food because you're not getting the real flavors of the food. And you'll know yourself if you've ever had, I was talking to someone yesterday about a dinner I'm going to do and they have, they grow wonderful sweet corn. And I said, if you have, you know, a can thing that's got lots of sugar in it and salt and you eat the sweet corn from that, that's one thing. But if said, if you get really good late corn, uh, from you know Des Moines or something, and you sure. and it's late in the day, and you get the corn from there, and you make a, a corn bisque or whatever you're going to make from it. The flavors are just totally different. It's it's almost like it's a distilled flavor of of corn. And I think the problem is that we we eat a lot of processed food. And I've I one of the things I've had to be very careful when I moved here, particularly from Europe, is not to eat processed food because if you're eating so much of it, it can really impact your health. And so, you know, I'm always trying to get really good ingredients as much as I can and use them as simply as possible. So kind of, you know, I always say God's done all the work. And you you know yourself, whether you're talking about beef, whether you're talking about uh, produce, fruits, if you get it as close to kind of nature as possible, the flavors are just so different and so and just unimaginably better. We're going to take another break here on Barbecue Nation on the Sun Radio Networks. We'll be back with my friend Simon Majumdar right after this. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. We've got Simon Majumdar with us today. I'd like to thank the folks again at Painted Hills Natural Beef. It comes from beautiful downtown Fossil, Oregon. And I'm betting Simon has not been to Fossil, but I think he would love it if he ever got up here and took the trip over there. And also Gunter Wilhelm Knives. Uh, great quality knives. Reasonable price. And uh, check them out online at GunterWilhelm.com. So... Of course, this is a barbecue show, uh, Simon, and I know that the times before uh, you had been on that one time you were actually coming up here to the Oregon State Fair to judge a grilled salmon contest and stuff like that. Do you get much time to to work with outdoor cooking um, or is it is it just part of your whole uh, litany, your repertoire there? I, I mean, I love working with outdoor cooking and I, you know, I do a lot of, I have done a lot of cooking outdoors myself, whether it's with barbecue teams, as you, as you know, from when we chatted before, and I haven't done it in a few years, um, but I used to be on a team at the American Royal Barbecue in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a great team there. I have to admit we were, um, we, the fact that we're, one year we won party of the year would probably tell you. Uh, where we fitted into the scheme of things rather than the more invitational. But having said that, we produced very good food um, and we raised a lot of money doing, we had these big parties where quite frankly, I would, I, I created a cocktail station. And so for an extra five bucks, people could come on 
and buy a cocktail from me. I'd mix them a cocktail and we gave all of that money to a local charity, Harvesters for the Homeless. So that was always something I loved doing. But but I love barbecue cooking. I've hung out with lots of barbecue teams. I've hosted kosher barbecue festivals. Um you know, all around the country, I've done things um, with outdoor cooking. And also, uh, you know, I do dinners around the country for various people. And sometimes they tend to have great outdoor spaces. And what I like to do is often I, I did something at someone's house uh, fairly recently for something. And they had uh, a big kind of outdoor pizza oven. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, well, they didn't get to use it terribly often. And, you know, not everyone's pizza and I go well this is one of the greatest like heat sources for cooking anything and so over the period of the evening we cooked you know chickens in there we cooked lamb chops in there we cooked roasted vegetables in there to serve with you know creme fraiche and harissa we so I showed them about 20 things that you could do in your you know your pizza oven uh, other than pizza and we in fact we baked some bread in there we did all kinds of stuff and so for me um, and then I, you know, I've been lucky enough when I've been traveling abroad to places like Argentina uh, or Chile to be able to have a really great kind of outdoor cooking and help in some of it, where you're grilling, you know, whole slabs of beef over sure. an open fire, just wonderful things. And it's uh, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it, but like I guess whenever when it fits into what I'm doing, then I love doing it. But I haven't had much chance to go out in search of it, particularly. Sure. Sure. No, I, well, and that kind of leads me to this. We were talking about it in the previous segment, Simon, about salt and seasonings and stuff. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody that says, um, I don't particularly like barbecue because the rubs are too salty for me. And then they put sauce on top of it, which has some natural salts in it and things like that. So, um, we are seeing at times some of the newer barbecue restaurants and stuff are not coming out with the very traditional salt and pepper based kind of Texas style rubs that they're putting on there. They're using uh, different seasonings, different spices, and they're using more, um, some sweet, some a little salty, but you know, more natural flavors in that. I'm, I'm just curious of your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, sometimes I have to say that I come not into conflict because I <laughs> over it because in the end you're just talking about a, a good meal. But sure. I think one of the one of the things with barbecue, particularly competition barbecue, you know, I always have people say to me when I did judge competition barbecue or when I was cooking it, oh, that must be so fantastic. And I go, actually, a lot of competition barbecue isn't really meant to offer you more than one good bite. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they look. Because that's all you ha- have time to eat if you've got sticks in front of you. And so, I said, actually, you wouldn't want to necessarily eat a whole slab of, you know, St. Louis ribs from someone who's put competition rub on it, because it's it's supposed to look great, but your one bite is supposed to deliver everything. And I I do think sometimes we go over the top with our rubs and our our spices when we're doing something in barbecue because. It, we're trying to deliver so much flavor. And, and I do think sometimes we need to pare back because in the end, I, I've eaten ribs that have got beautiful texture, perfectly cooked, but actually I can't taste any meat and because mm-hmm. they've smothered everything. And I think we've got to try and hit a balance with that. I have to say, if I'm cooking like steaks at home, 
I use little more than salt and pepper. Because again, if I get a really good quality piece there, a really good quality ribeye, uh, these days I tend to do a lot of it sous vide and then sear them afterwards. Um, And the way I like to cook my steaks is I put them on a wire rack and salt them overnight pretty heavily to kind of do a little bit of a kind of cure on them. Sure. I, and then I, then I rinse them off, which sounds counterintuitive, but is important. Dry them really thoroughly. A little bit of uh, oil, a little bit of white pepper I tend to use on my when I'm cooking. Uh-huh. So I'll use white pepper and kosher salt when I cook. And then when I've finished, I'll finish with a little bit of black pepper and a finishing salt. And then that's it. Because I think if I've, if, you know, Again, if God's done all the work on the beef and the beef has done all the work eating all that grass, I don't want to smother that with cayenne and as many other dried spices that you can find. And so I'm a real simplest when I'm cooking meats. Um, And that's why I sometimes, as I say, come into conversations with people in barbecue because they'll take a beautiful uh, ribs and they'll then put, you know, mustard on it and then put the spices and then they put it in and i go well in the end it it might have a great texture but in terms of the taste you might be eating anything so sometimes i do i'm not sure i'm always that popular (laughs) of the barbecue folks but but i'm a man of opinions and i'm but having said yeah which is why in a way there's kind of texas approach of just kind of salt pepper and not too much of it is is one that i like and sometimes if i go into other areas where they were um, kind of mopping with flavors or putting too much sauce on. I struggle. And I think a lot of that just obviously, and you you know this more than I will, about it comes from the history where they weren't always given the best pieces of meat and really to get any flavor into them, they were having to create these rubs. So I totally understand the history and I respect the people who are really good at it. And there are so many great barbecue teams. I think just in my, my personal taste is just to let, let the, you know, in this case, the animals speak for themselves. Well, I think you said a very key uh, sentence in that, in that answer there for the fact that I still like to taste the meat. Um, if, if all meat was created equal, as you might say, um, then you probably could either over season it as you wish, or you would tend to use very little seasoning, but all meat is not created equal. And so that I want to taste that difference. I want to know also when I'm cutting into a ribeye is, or a nice filet or an, or a strip or whatever, that it was worth that $12 or whatever you paid for it, that the flavor of the actual meat came through. And I, and I see that and I'll probably take some flack for this, but that's okay. Um, competition, you know, and then I'll have people say, well, competition is one thing. What you would do at home is another true because the competition judges and stuff for the most part are trained, uh, and their palates are kind of zoned in on the, these, I would call it severe flavors at times. I tend to, yeah. I tend to be like you. I tend to be a little more simple. My, my steaks, if I'm going to grill a steak, just for an example, um, my secret weapon at the end is a little bit of Worcestershire sauce. That's what I use. I mean, I use salt and pepper. Don't get me wrong. But at the end, I'll put a 
couple of, as I call them, blubs right out of the bottle on that and go ahead and close the lid. And I might put a touch more salt and pepper on that Worcestershire. That stuff's going to pretty much evaporate and dry off. You just get a little flavor on the top there. But that's just the way I personally like it. Because um, I Well, that, that sauce, I mean, the Worcestershire sauce, you know, which is a, an English thing, you know. Right. Um, it's actually got a history that goes back to the kind of fish sauces that the Romans produced, that it actually has anchovies in that sauce. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's, and that, that fermentation of the anchovies is what's, what creates umami. So what you're, actually, you, what you're really doing there, it's like when you put a drop of it into a stew. I did some yesterday, in fact, with a, a pork um, shoulder stew that I was cooking for something. And just a few drops just adds umami. And you can't even, it's a deep savoriness. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to get some flavors into uh, a piece of meat, and I use it a lot. One of the things I think we, we, we don't do enough of in, in this country is, is really going to some of those chunks of meat and that don't get as much attention. You know, if you're in a, a country where, you know, um, or, or certainly going back in time in the United States where, you know, you killed an animal and you had to use all of it, I think we've kind of lost, still lost touch with a lot of that. So things like if you use a, a, a pig jowl that they sure. turn into guanciale in Italy, or you use like a bulgogi Korean style, but I use skirt steak. Mm-hmm. And I asked the group there, there was like 100 people there, if anyone had eaten skirt steak before. And I think there was maybe just a handful. And I'm going, but for me, this is, this is what it's, you know, cheap, it's delicious, but it's not what it doesn't do is necessarily fit into that kind of notion we have here that, you know, you should be able to cut a cow with a spoon. Absolutely. We're going to take another break here on Barbecue Nation and Simon and I will be back after these brief messages. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. We can never know about the day. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Networks. I'm JT. We're talking with my friend uh, Simon Majumdar from the Food Network. Uh, real quickly, the Amazing Ribs meetup in Memphis has been postponed until next year. So I just want to tell you that they'll be making some more announcements. I know quite a few of you signed up to go. Um, looks like a great event, but just because of still having some COVID restrictions and stuff, they've postponed that uh, for until next year. And next week, we'll have uh, Lene Oxley Loop on the show with us. So that'll be fun. But let's get back and talk to uh, Simon a little more. We were talking off the air, you know, and I was telling you about this local grocery store and stuff that, that I utilize. I think if, if people really try and kind of expand a little bit, their knowledge, their palate, whatever, and there are stores out there that you can find that are specialty stores. We have a specialty market over on the West side of Portland that is predominantly Asian foods. Okay. But you go in there and if you go in the back, the back of the store, you're not in the back room or anything. There are these huge tanks full of fish. So you can, you can, you can say, I'll, I need two trout 
and they're still alive. They're swimming around and they'll pull them out for you, you know, or, or Dungeness crabs or, or whatever you want. I absolutely go. Well, I can't say what I normally say uh, because this goes <laughs> over the, <laughs> the radio, but I go a little goofy in those doors sometimes, Simon, just because I, I, I love them so much. Me too. And I, um, I used, you know, during the pandemic, we uh, here in L.A., obviously, great Asian communities from all over, whether it's Thailand, the Philippines, Korea, right. ch- um, China. We have a lot of people. And obviously, um, the supermarkets that we provide to a lot of that community have just amazing things. And back in the day, as I call it, you know, the before times, as I call it, when we would be driving in in those areas you know where uh, the markets are we would always stop and fill up and, and get some <laughs> you know some some really great ingredients and but now we've we've been lucky enough to find a, a, a like a a delivery service that delivers from a lot of them sure so you know we i particularly love getting things like squid because i love to cook with squid i just got a cup of beef shanks well you can't find those in your local supermarket but they have them there, and I'm going to make tomorrow a Taiwanese beef noodle soup, which I'm going to sous vide overnight with spices. And then tomorrow, just um, I'll probably make some flat noodles and put them in there. Um, I think part of the not issue, but a lot of times, if it's an ingredient that people don't know, they might just shy away from it. And I think part of my role or the Food Network's role is to try and show people, you know, alongside some of the classics that people do on shows, just to try and show them that this is an unusual ingredient that you might not know, but actually will deliver real flavor. It might be good for you economically because a lot of these cuts of meat, you know, if you go to some of your clubs like, you know, Costco or Sam's or whatever, they'll have them there really, really cheap. Um, You know, for example, if you go to um, Costco, yeah, and I'm I'm not endorsed by them. This is just, right, right. By the they have their flat meat, which is called, which is a, you know just a thin piece of meat that's really really good to put on the grill. And it compared to when, what you're paying for, you know, even you know choice ribeyes or whatever, it's it's dirt cheap, but the flavor is great and it's really good. You can make it into pizzas, you can turn it into all kinds of things. So I think just to give opportunities to people on the shows to say, well, hey, try this. And that's one of the reasons I love doing demos. So I'll show them the, the benefits of having a, a, an alternative ingredient to something that might be more expensive. I think that getting people to, you know, watch one of your demos or, or watch one of your uh, episodes on television and that, and it gets them inspired. My advice, if you will, to people is don't be afraid to try it. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid. We've got, you know, America is this huge kind of melting pot. And it's been said a gazillion times. And it's true. This melting pot of cultures from around the world. And they all bring something with them. And usually it has to do with food. And I don't mean physically bring something with them, but they have sort of a, a tradition or uh, something that's n- you know, they're quite comfortable with at, at their dinner table in their home country. And now it's here and it's being dispersed, if you will, that knowledge throughout our culture. Um, it's just like with barbecue, you know, barbacoa, um, you know, ancient type of practice, if you will. And uh, all of a sudden people are catching on to it. And 
it's it's kind of a fun thing. Now, you might not be able to do that in your own backyard. I don't know. Everybody's situation is different in that respect. But my point is, don't be afraid to try things. No, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I tend to be pretty fearless. And some of the things I've eaten as I travel around the world might shock a few people. But... <laughs> um, but but you know I think it's, if sometimes if I'm in a, um, a a country and they they do something out of a you know whether it's a pigfoot or whether it's whatever sure. it might be or you know odd things like one of my it's one of the things I love to do at home now is people might stick uh, it a little bit but you get um, from the butchers actually from one of the markets here they have the pig's ears and right. I, what I tend to do is I braise them with bay leaf and garlic and uh, soy and and then what I do is cut them into strips dry them off overnight in the fridge and then toss them in a little corn flour or um, and deep fry them mm-hmm. and they make the cra- like cracklings and then I serve them to people with with the beer and they are people, what happens is people kind of are destroying them because they're so delicious I <laughs> sprinkle a little either Sichuan pepper over them or something like that. Yes. And they're crunchy and salty and perfect with beer. And then when I tell them what they are, they go, some people just go, well, I'm not eating that. You should have told us. And I go, but but you've just eaten probably about four pig's ears worth before I told you. Yes. So you're obviously enjoying it. Yeah. And so um, I, I just think, yeah, I think I, I get it. I understand why some people do have some, and a lot of that, uh, there's a lot of reasons why people are just a bit uh, worried about it. But if, if they are someone who's got a real mind to trying something different, it's always great to go out there and go walk around your local markets. I always say when I go to any country, I will be able to tell exactly what that country is like by just walking around one of their, either a, a market outside or a supermarket, and sure. I can tell what's going on. So real quickly, we don't have too much time left. How can people track you down, so to speak, on the web and find your websites and Facebook and that type of thing? Absolutely. So if you come on any of those, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, there's so many of them there. If you look at at Simon Majumda, so just my name, I'm the only one as far as I know. And that's me. Well, Simon, thanks for being on uh, Barbecue Nation this week. It's a pleasure to have you back. We will do it on a regular basis now that uh, we've reconnected. And I think that's wonderful. So um, my pleasure. Yeah. It's always fun folks. That's going to wrap up this part of the show. Don't forget. You can check us out online too at barbecue nation.jt or not dot jt barbecue nation, jt.com. I should say you can do that. And we'll be back next week with another show right here on the barbecue nation. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.